Whether you look into the past or the future of White Pine Community Church, the same truth will become evident. There is no limit to what God can do with people who put Him first. On the Sunday before 9-11, there was not a single church in any of the communities northeast of Portland that offered a weekend service designed to help people find and follow Jesus. That combination of beginner friendliness, contemporary music, and practical Bible teaching just didn't exist anywhere between Portland and Augusta. But there was a group of three couples in Cumberland who had been dreaming for some time of starting a church in their community that they could invite their non-Christian friends to. And just a few weeks after 9-11, in October of 2001, White Pine held its first public worship service at North Yarmouth Memorial School. About 50 people came to that service. It was an amazing launch because at the time, Maine was the most unchurched state in the country, and Cumberland County was the most unchurched county in the state. Less than 4% of those who lived in your town attended an evangelical church. And over the next decade, the percentage of those in our area who claimed any kind of religious affiliation shrunk from 45% to 28%. And in 2017, the Barner Research Group called Portland, Maine, the most post-Christian city in America. But during that same period of time, White Pine has thrived. Today, almost 500 people call White Pine their church home. And we are investing over half a million dollars a year in helping people find and follow Jesus here in these communities northeast of Portland and around the world. What God has done through people who put Him first has been nothing short of miraculous. And now we have a new vision. A vision to see God do throughout the northeast of Portland region what He has done here in Cumberland. You see, our impact so far has been limited by our location. Here in the Cumberland and North Yarmouth School District, we've reached 5% of the population. But the further out you go from Greeley Middle School, the lower that percentage gets. In Yarmouth, we've reached 1.7%. In Falmouth, 1.4%. In Gray, 0.9%. And in Freeport, 0.8%. Now, there's nothing unusual about the fact that distance decreases our impact. But here's the problem. It's now 2019, and there is still no other church like White Pine in any of those towns. We know that God loves every single one of the 50,000 people who are potentially within our reach. And we feel compelled to help people in all the communities northeast of Portland to find and follow Jesus. Not out of an ambition to build a bigger church, but out of a sense of responsibility to the people who have no other church like ours to attend. We believe that God has given us the resources to be a regional church. But in order for us to maximize our outreach potential, we need to build a more permanent facility in a more strategic location, a location that is easily accessible to people in all the towns we seek to reach. And the time to find that new ministry epicenter is now. We're the next generation of White Pine Dreamers, called by God to emulate the commitment, vision, and generosity of those three couples who planted this church 18 years ago. Right now, we are beginning a two-year 
generosity initiative that is fueled by a passion to put God first in our lives. It begins with the commitment to make what matters most to Him our highest priority. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and He will give you everything you need. We are about to see that amazing promise fulfilled. And in addition to deepening our commitment, we're going to let the Spirit of God expand our vision. We are going to see not just our Jerusalem, but also our Judea and Samaria as God sees it. Our desire to see more Mainers end up in heaven is going to become so intense that we will do anything in our power to help them get there. And that commitment and vision is going to unleash generosity like some of us have never practiced before. This really is, it's so much more than a building. It's more than a facility. And the opportunity in this is in a place that is one of the most unchurched places in this country. And I think one of the hardest places in the world um, to reach people for the cause of Christ is we have an opportunity to really grow in our sense of making God first in every part of our lives, in every way. And when we are faithful to do that, when we truly surrender our lives to God and make Him first in everything that we do, in the way that we live, in the way that we see people around us, and with our finances, the resources that God has given us, I just think that that creates the potential for amazing things to happen. Um, And I think that when we do that as a church, that is something that has eternal impact. That will absolutely result in many people coming to find and follow Jesus. Through going, you know, becoming a Christian and going to church over 12 years, you know, much of that has been like internal growth. And I would say that, um, you know, I think that I certainly haven't arrived to a particular destination I was looking for yet. However, I think that um, I recognize now that it's really important for the church to grow, not just for me to grow. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think when the church grows, when we put efforts into that, I think we will also grow and grow in ways that we didn't really expect. Our primary goal in this God First initiative is for every single person who calls White Pine home to fully engage in this discipleship process. I have no doubt that if 100% of us give 100% of ourselves to God, we will have everything we need to do everything He wants us to do. Our secondary goal is to raise $3 million over the next two years. All of us are going to be challenged to give generously to one fund that will enable us to do two things. First, it will enable us to invest $1.2 million in ongoing ministry expenses. And second, it will add $1.8 million to the $400,000 we have already devoted to acquiring a new ministry epicenter. This is going to give us the ability to respond quickly when the right land or building becomes available in the place God has already planned for us to be. Friends, this is our opportunity to do something together that will impact the eternal destiny of hundreds, if not thousands of people, not just in our generation, but in the next generation as well. We're going to be able to say at the end of our run, look what happened when we put God first. We gave to our children and to our grandchildren, not just a church home and not just an outreach base, but also a legacy 
of commitment, vision, and generosity that will inspire them to be and to do everything God has planned for them. Join us in this exciting new chapter of the White Pine Story. The excitement that you see in us about this, it is genuine. It is real. God has, is building up an excitement and a passion in us for this because it is what God has next for us as his church. I, I feel this morning uh, very much like I did on our, in our first weeks of White Pine. It feels like that to me. It's that exciting. And our ushers right now, they're going to pass out uh, these God First booklets and they're going to get these and, and pens into all of your hands right now. And um, these booklets are, are really going to be a wonderful tool for all of us throughout this whole series. And in the booklet, you're going to have three things. You're going to have vision pages, sermon notes, and group pages. And so this is going to be a tool um, in every part of the series for the next six weeks, our God First series. Our team worked really hard on these booklets and we are all really excited to get these into your hands, into all of our hands, so that we as a whole church can begin to embark and go forward on this God-first journey together. It's really exciting. And then also in there, you're going to see a God-first commitment card. And this commitment card, um, we just want to get this to you. We're going to be using this throughout the series. We're going to be talking more about it. But we want to get this into your hands early so that you can begin to pray over this commitment card. Keep this in a special place where you can do that and begin to pray as an individual, as a family, to see what putting God first truly will look like for you um, in terms of your finances and every part of it, because finances will be one part of this initiative, one necessary element of this. And these commitment cards, we're going to begin by just praying about that so that every one of us doesn't miss what God has for it. I keep mine in my Bible, and it's a part of my devotional time right now. And I know that if I discover exactly what God has for me in that, then, and, and he does that for every one of us, he will exceed our expectations. He will give us everything that we need to be ready to do exactly what he wants us to do, to have the land and the facility where he wants us to have it at just the right time. So that's a wonderful thing that we're going to be talking more about later. Just have that early, be praying through that. And so now that we've got all of those booklets uh, passed out, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into our message this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are who you are. God, thank you that we can place all of our trust, our confidence, our faith in you. You are worthy, God. And we know that if we follow you, if we take your hand as your church and we follow you into whatever you have for us going forward, that it will mean amazing things, great fruit, so, God, this morning, as we begin this God First series, I pray more than anything else, Father, that you will draw each one of us into a deeper place of trust in you, of decision and resolve, God, to make you first in our lives. And, God, I pray that as we get to see the exciting things that will happen as a result, that you will guard and protect your church as we move through this together, and that you will receive all the honor and glory God, we want you to be first. We are choosing as a church to make you first. 
Thank you for who you are and all that you will do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. So I have two fears about uh, standing here right now. The first one is that you're already tired of listening to me, because that was like a long video, right? And you're like, okay, that could, was that the message? No, sorry. There's more. Um, and the other thing that I'm afraid of is that right now, you're not going to listen to me because you are going to be looking through that booklet. I see some of you doing it right now. You cannot resist. And I, if I'm sitting there, I'm the same way. Say what you will, I'm going to look through the booklet. But uh, I'm going tr- to ask you to try really hard right now to not do that. Like even when you get bored in the middle of the message, like don't do it then because something's going to happen. You're not going to be bored anymore. And I don't want you to miss that. So uh, discipline yourself right now to just open it up to page 28. That's, that's going to be, there's two pages there that are just uh, places for you to write down whatever you feel uh, that you're learning or that God is saying to you in the message. And uh, there are some questions on the back end of that uh, for uh, personal reflection, for group discussion. We'll talk more about that um, later this morning. But um, if, you're, if you're done looking at the booklet, I can tell you this. What you're holding in your hands right now and, and what we're going to experience together for the next six weeks, really for the next two years, started with this question. How can we rise to the financial challenge that we are facing in such a way that, one, we do not stray from our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, and two, that we don't get to the end of this time all wasted and and just relieved that it's over, and and we'll just say, you know, thank God we're done with that, but that we'll actually be more excited than ever about loving our community to Christ. The answer to avoiding those two things, I think, we as a leadership team think, is to grow generosity organically. In other words, We're going to trust God to transform us from the inside out. We're going to trust him to make us more like Jesus, who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. You might say, why are you using that passage when we're going to be talking about money? I'll tell you why. It's because that passage comes right in a paragraph that's talking about money in the New Testament. See, we really believe that if our hearts beat in sync with the heart of Jesus, and if our eyes see people like he sees them, then we will be glad to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to help more Mainers end up in heaven. So as you saw in the video, um, during these next six weeks, we're going to work through a really challenging three-step process that begins with commitment and, and is clarified by vision which will ultimately bear the fruit of generosity. And if there's one passage of Scripture that packs all that we've said so far into a single verse, and and a passage that also kind of puts meat on the bones of that phrase, God first, it's Matthew 6.33, where Jesus said, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, that is, everything you need, will be given to you as well. Now listen, I know that's a familiar passage to, 
to many of you. How many of you heard that heard those words before? Okay, most of you in this room have, have done it. Some of you have memorized the passage. Have you ever really thought about how radical it is? Stare at that passage. It's an astounding promise. If we make what matters most to God the number one priority of our lives, if we go all in on helping more people live forever and becoming more like Jesus in our character and our lifestyle, then we do not have to fear that we will take a financial hit for making that commitment. The deal is, we do what matters most to God, and He will take care of every need we have. That's the promise that's there. I bet most of you have seen the Big Rock, Little Rock illustration before. You've seen this before? Or you, how many of you have seen this, this before? You know, what, you know what this is, right? right? Even before I do it. Yeah, yeah um, this was something that was actually popular, popularized by Stephen Covey. Uh, in a book called First Things First. And in that book, he was basically um, just retelling um, something that he had seen before where a professor had taken all these different size rocks and and put them like little rocks first and then bigger as they go up into into a container. And and he was trying to show that, um, that there's just not enough time to do everything that we want to do. And and, you know, you've seen before that if you put the little rocks in first, the big rocks don't fit. That, that's kind of the idea there. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a terrific illustration because it talks about priorities. And actually, you can make the illustration a lot more simple than that professor did because when Jesus, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus really only had like three categories, right? He had God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and everything else. So what are the big rocks? God's kingdom, God's righteousness, right? And then everything else is just pebbles. And, and, and all of us would say, well, you know, I, those, things, those things matter to me. I, I want to put God first. I want, I want to be used by him to help his kingdom grow. I want, to be, I want to become more righteous in my life. I want to become more like Jesus. Those things matter a lot to me. The problem is I'm tremendously busy. I mean, you know, living is expensive, and, you know, I have to spend an awful lot of my time and my energy, you know, just going to work. And, and, it, and as I go to work, I have to, you know, work as many hours as I can because I have to save money. I have kids that I'm trying to put through college, and I'm trying to, you know, get this retirement account set up, and uh, I have to have kind of my rainy day fund, and there, it, just, it just takes all kinds of time. And, and then in addition to, to all that stuff, there's some things that I really kind of want to I want to have, you know, I want to have maybe, maybe a little bigger house or nicer car or a camp or a boat or whatever, and that takes a lot of money. And have you ever noticed how much money and time and energy it takes just to, for the upkeep of all those things that, that we buy? So there's more of our time and energy there. And then you have to just have time to veg because you're so tired after all that stuff. So, you know, just a f- couple hours a day and, then, and really a couple times a year, right? You have to have that time in the summer where you can get away maybe to Europe or something like that. And, and then you, you have to, in, in Maine, you've got to have a winter vacation as well because it's so hard to go through winter. So you've got to get down to Florida for that, for that week. And, and, you know, that, that's expensive too. And, you know, there are all these things that really are just normal part of living. Take up a lot of time. And so we say, well, I, I, uh, you know, these, these are just things that are necessary for me to do. And I, of course, I want to I, I wanna put God first, but, and, 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 and I want his kingdom and his righteousness to be a part of my life. But 
The problem is I just don't have enough time to fit it all in. Just, uh, it, 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 it's just, I'm just too busy. Is the problem that we don't have enough time to fit it all in, or is the problem simply our priorities? Right, you know what's going to happen here. What, God's kingdom. First thing. Let me, let, me, let me just make that the number one priority of my life, and his righteousness, that's really, really important too. So I want to put those in my, in my life first, and then all, all the other things. I'm going to trust God to actually make sure that I have enough time and energy and money to do the other things that are necessary for me to, to, to live my, my, my life. And if I do that, then everything's going to fit, Right? This is a God-first life right there. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in, in, in Matthew 6, 33. I was thinking, well, this is a really good theory, but do I actually know anybody that lives like this? And when I started to ask that question, I came up with like all kinds of answers. Like I started thinking about Lois Gerke. She became a Christian here at White Pine about a year and a half ago. And she has fewer possessions and more joy than almost anyone else I know. How can someone whose minivan is also her home be that happy? Well, the truth is she's actually not living in her minivan right now. She's actually been invited by Stephen Teresa um, Smith to be in, in their home for the winter. Which I, and I look at that and I go, that right there is Jesus actually fulfilling Matthew 6.33 in Lois's life. And then there's Corey Price, this guy who grew up in this church. We didn't see it on the video, but we have a picture of him leaning up against the trailer uh, that we still own, that we still use every Sunday for about two more Sundays before it breaks down. And he, he's, he's right up against like a wheel, and he's like, not, he's like up to the wheel. He's a little tiny kid, and he grew up in this church. And then at the age of 21, he moved to Beirut, Lebanon to attend college and to work in a, Sir, in a Syrian refugee camp. He's been there for two and a half years and he is, anybody who knows him would agree, he's a contagiously happy guy for some strange reason. And then there's Caroline Andrews, who went to an impoverished area of Honduras to work in a missionary hospital and school last January. And, and she's still there, living the dream. I thought of Doug and Joyce Erdman, uh, one of the three couples that started this church. Doug was an attorney. And he and Joyce were raising five kids when they decided to join the staff of a mission organization called the Navigators, which involved not just a pay cut, but actually the responsibility of going out and asking people to support them financially for what they, what they felt God was calling them to do. Doug said it was the hardest thing that he's ever done. They spent six years in Singapore before taking another pay cut to lead a different mission organization in Colorado Springs. And, and here's what Doug now says about putting God first. He said, I have learned, not just theoretically, but experientially, that God's promises can be trusted. Our needs for the last 18 years have always been provided for. And, and while I'm at it, I might as well mention Joe Campbell, who at the age of 32 was offered an enviable job uh, with, an, with a very attractive salary by Songtime USA. And at the very same time, he was asked by this dinky little church that had just started in Cumberland if he would become their worship pastor. You know what the starting salary was to, for the worship pastor position at White Pine? Zero. 
when they finally decided to start paying him, he got $12,000 a year. That's what it looks like to put God first. I wouldn't put myself in the same commitment club as any of those people that I just mentioned, but I can testify that every single move that, that our family has made in ministry was done because we thought that that was the best thing that we could do for God's kingdom. It wasn't based on any, um, any financial issues. And, I, and, and I'll tell you, I'll be, as, I'll be totally honest, I have feared so many times that I would not be able to provide for my family. But despite my fears, uh, our, our family has never missed a meal. We've never spent a single day without a roof over our head. We've never been un- unable to get good medical care. We've never felt like we were flirting with disaster by giving a portion of our earnings back to God. Despite my lack of faith, God has been so faithful to give us everything we need. I'm in year 38 of following Jesus, and I have never, not for a single day, ever had less than 100% of what I needed. Fact is, I've always had way more than 100%. I think almost all of us would say that we believe in Jesus. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Think about this. We say, well, it means I believe that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. Good, great start. But doesn't it also mean that we believe that Jesus spoke the truth? That Jesus was right about everything? Yeah, that's, that, that's what it means. So, so we believe, at least conceptually, that Matthew 6.33 is true. But Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Well, that's a great question. I mean, if we believe that Jesus is telling us the truth, that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, if we use our limited resources to do those two things, he'll give us everything we need. What keeps us from doing it? Well, if you just zoom out from that one verse in the Bible, you'll see what keeps us from doing it. Verse 33 of Matthew 6 is surrounded by verses about Worry. Worry keeps us from putting God first in the way that we use our resources. Uh, Verse 25, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to us, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, uh, uh, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I got out this morning and I went outside to see if I needed to shovel my driveway. So, you know, I go right into my garage and I open up the garage door, walk out to the edge. And I was just like struck, I was awestruck by the beauty that I saw out there this morning. Because it just had that little layer of snow there. It kind of was on the top of all the trees all around. And the sun had just come up. And the sky was, you know, that pink color that you get every once in a while. 
turned into a beautiful blue a little later on when I looked out the window. But I remember when I was looking at that beautiful scene, I could hear one little bird chirping. And I, I thought, well, how is it that God, with the harshness of the winters in Maine, to, could, can, can keep that little bird alive? How is it that all those, all those birds make it through the winter? How does God do that? In a book called Simple Faith, Chuck Swindoll just lingered on that truth that is revealed in God's provision for his carefree creatures. He wrote, No bird ever tried to build more nests or more extravagant places to live than its neighbor. No fox ever got ticked off because she had only one hole in which to hide and rear her young. No squirrel ever had a coronary because he failed to store enough nuts for two winters instead of one. No bear was ever envious of another bear with a larger cave in which to hibernate. No dog ever lost a good night's sleep over the fact that he had not laid aside enough bones for his declining years. And yet our Heavenly Father takes wonderfully good care of his creatures. What a waste is worry. You know, that's exactly what Jesus said. Look at verse 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And he's not done. Verse 28. And, and, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, not even the richest man in the world, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, I know why some of us have a hard time relating to this passage. It's because we've never lacked food or clothing. We've never even contemplated the possibility of lacking either of those basic necessities. Now, the audience that Jesus was speaking to, a lot of them had, but we haven't. But tell me you've never worried about lacking um, a mortgage payment or the money to get your car repaired or the money to buy Christmas gifts for your kids or enough to pay your taxes, enough to cover hospital bills, enough to send your kids to college. Enough to make it through retirement. If you're looking for something to worry about, take your pick. And there are always plenty of options. And here's the thing. That worry can turn our priorities upside down. We can become so fixated on our financial needs that we have nothing left for God. We have no time, no energy, no money. Yet, ironically, the whole time we're worrying, we have a Father in heaven who's saying to us, I've got this. Have you noticed that your kids, and I'm speaking now to those of you whose kids are still living at home, your kids never worry about having their basic needs met. Now, I'm not saying they don't worry about other things. They worry about a lot of things, but they don't go to bed worrying they might freeze to death or that you know, they might miss a meal. No, no. They saunter out of bed each morning and they just kind of wander right to the refrigerator. <laughs> Get what they want, disappear until they're hungry again. Back to the refrigerator they go. This is their basic, their basic lifestyle. They eat and sleep with no stress whatsoever. 
Why? Because they know you're going to provide for them. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but they're in their 30s. It's time for them to go. (laughs) But why would they? With you as their parents, they have everything they need. And so do we. God loves us so much, and he is so loaded and so generous that we have nothing to worry about. And so Jesus says in verse 31, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, those who do not know that God wants to provide for them, they run after all these things. That word run after is from the same root word as the word seek in the next verse. They don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They seek first to provide for themselves. Because if they don't, who will? But that's not our paradigm. We know that our Heavenly Father knows our every need. And he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So we're totally freed up to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness because when we do that, everything that we need will be given to us as well. That's what Jesus promised. Just think about what you could do for God if you were determined not to worry about what he has already promised to give you. But it's not just worry that keeps us from putting God first. If you back up a little further in Matthew 6, you'll see that greed can do it too. Go back to verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, now Jesus is hitting a little too close to home. We are fine with the whole worry thing, but for, for, to have him tell us what to do with our possessions, that's going a little too far, isn't it? See, we don't, we don't worry about necessities, but we do want to accumulate luxuries. That is, stuff that we don't actually honestly really need, but stuff that we, we really want. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that we know will someday be worthless, but it's nice to have right now. And we could be a little defensive about our possessions because haven't we worked hard for everything we've got? And don't we have the right to do what we want with our own money? And doesn't the Bible actually say that God gives us everything for our enjoyment? Besides, there are so many people who have way more than we do. And and everything we have, we've dedicated to God. We've said to God, this doesn't belong to me. This belongs to you, and you can do whatever you want with it. You can take it from me anytime you want. We've done that. See, I've said some of those very things. I've nodded my head when other people have said those very same things to me. But when I look at verse 19, I have to say that I think Jesus disagrees with us. Because he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, then what should we do with our money? Look at verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, well, that brings up a practical question. How do we 
use earthly wealth to accumulate heavenly treasure. If I can just take all that I think Jesus taught about that and put it in a nutshell, I would say it comes down to investing in people. To to meeting their physical and spiritual needs. Generosity to the poor and to those who do not yet follow Jesus builds God's kingdom around us and his righteousness within us. And this investment in people can be done with money that we've already spent because didn't Jesus say, sell your possessions and give to the poor? And it can be done with money we have yet to spend. Perhaps even money that we have been planning to spend on earthly treasures. And I know that just sounds so radical to us. You know, like it requires some level of spirituality that we have not yet attained to. We say, well, that's a great ideal, but I'm just not there yet. God hasn't put it on my heart to sacrifice an earthly possession for the sake of an eternal investment. You want to know why you're not motivated to do that? Well, maybe it's because of the spending choices you have made in the past. See, we think our values determine our investments. But, but Jesus actually said the opposite. Jesus said our investments shape our values. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See that? Your, 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 your heart follows your treasure. What you invest in today will determine what you care most about tomorrow. It's not think your way into a different way of acting. It's act your way into a different way of thinking. So you and I are plenty spiritual enough to do it. It's just a question of whether we will or we won't. I just had this horrifying thought. Like, what, what if I got the order wrong? I've been saying all along, it's commitment and then vision and then generosity. I wonder if it's actually generosity first which changes our commitment. That's kind of what verse 21 says. And then if you keep reading into verses 22 and 23, that also affects our vision. Look at it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and by by saying that, Jesus is basically saying, if you perceive what you see accurately, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If we see earthly things from a heavenly perspective, you know, if we see everything that's on the dot from the perspective of the line, we've talked about that many times before, if we do that, then our priorities and our values and our decisions will be healthy. But if we suffer from the myopia of materialism, if all we see when we look at earthly wealth is a more secure or more comfortable or more luxurious dot, and we are oblivious to the line of eternity, then we are truly blind. A few weeks ago, I watched a movie on Amazon Prime called Ragamuffin. Uh, It's about a Christian recording artist by the name of Rich Mullins. He was actually very popular um, at about the time that I became a Christian. I became a Christian in 1981, and it was right about that time that he became a very popular singer. And what was different about him than other recording artists was that he didn't sing like cliches. 
You know how a lot of Christian music is like that? You know, you come up, you come up, you come, you come up for air in, in your really tough life and you hear a song about how great everything is. It makes you want to, you know. And, and because you're saying, that's not me. That's not my life. And he used to sing these songs where it's like, he, he, he sang about that kind of stuff. It was messy. It was raw. It was real. And that's really the way he was in his life as well. He, um, for a time, because he had gotten popular in the Christian recording industry, moved to Nashville, bought a house there. But he eventually left that, and he moved to New Mexico to a Navajo reservation, and he built a little one-room hut where he spent the rest of his life. That's where he lived until he died tragically at the age of 41. And he was really a pretty wealthy guy, but he didn't know it. And the reason why he didn't know it is because he set up this arrangement where all the money that he made was to be sent directly to his church. And there was like this little committee there that um, decided each year what the average U.S. salary was, and they sent that to him. And that's what he lived on. And they didn't even tell him about the rest of the money. That's the way he set it up. So from time to time, he, he, would, he would see something that he wanted to support, and he'd have to go to the committee and say, do I have enough money to do this? He had no idea that he had way more than enough money to do it. And actually, he was, mo- he was broke most of the time because most of the money that they did send him, he used to use and, and just, just, just give it away. Now, Rich Mullins was um, an imperfect disciple, for sure. But I watched that movie and I thought, man, there is something really compelling about those priorities. To have your whole life be about following Jesus, loving God, serving people. I had to admit when I saw it that his life looked a lot more like the life that Jesus describes in Matthew 6 than my life does. I remember when I was in seminary, I could fit all of my possessions in my Datsun, I think it was a 510. Little blue compact car. Everything I could fit, all that I had, I could fit in there. And I remember thinking... I want to I never need a U-Haul in my life. I want to, through my whole life, I'm going to fit everything in my car. So when we moved to Maine from California, some of you will remember this because you saw those three pods in my driveway. Three pods to get my stuff from California to Maine. So I've obviously backslidden over the years. And of course, I've come across Christ's teachings about money and possession, possessions countless times as a Christian because he talked about this subject quite a bit. And most of what he says is really just about as radical as Matthew 6.33 is. And I think what I have done to soften the blow is to treat his words as hyperbole. Like, like he's exaggerating to make a point. I've told myself that he wants me to be a little more heavenly minded and so he describes this completely unearthly lifestyle. He goes all the way to the extreme, and if it tweaks my priorities a little bit, if it, makes, if, if it causes me to make just an incremental change, then his word has done its job. But I think that to be anything but stunned by Matthew 6.33 is to dodge its intent. I don't think that Jesus is trying to fine-tune our priorities. I think he's trying to turn them right side up. I mean, could he be any more blunt than he is in verse 24? No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Look at it. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot straddle the fence. There is no such thing as a tie when it comes to our number one priority. It's either God first or it's money first. It's either a life of running after what we need and want and giving God our leftovers, or it's a life of seeking first what matters most to Him and trusting Him to take care of us as we do that. Listen, the challenge that we are facing of raising millions of dollars to create a church facility that will help people all over this northeast of Portland region find and follow Jesus is a pipe dream if we are money-first people. It is not going to happen. But if all of us put God first, we make His kingdom, His righteousness, the most important thing of our lives, the thing we want most, the thing that we seek first, And this goal that we have set, it's as good as done. Bow your heads with me. Well, Lord, um, I'm just guessing, but I think it's a good guess that the money that we need to do what we feel called to do um, is here already. Would you work in our lives in such a deep way that we actually acknowledge that it belongs to you and that we let go of it? Would you speak to us so clearly about what you want to do with it that we have no question about what your will is? Would you work in our lives in that way? God, would you, would you empower us to, to actually fulfill this dream that we have? And, and would, you, would, you, would you work in us in such a way that it never, ever takes us away from the main thing, but it's really, it's really a tool that's being used to do the main thing, the stuff that matters most to you? Would you work like that in our, in our church? Would you work like that in our hearts? Would you do whatever it takes, please, Lord, to make us people who put you first? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Greg. Wow. It's a great start to a great moment in our lives and in the history of this ministry.